This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, a faithful choice. President Biden just announced he's decided how the U.S. will respond to a deadly attack on American troops in Jordan as fears grow that retaliating against Iranian forces could further ignite a region already on fire. Plus, China's promise. Xi Jinping gave Joe Biden his word that China will not meddle in the 2024 election. We're going to bring you exclusive new reporting on their high-stakes conversation. And we can't shake it off. Everyone loves to weigh in on Taylor Swift's relationship with, with Travis Kelsey, rather. But now a far-right media and even former presidential candidate conspiracy they're all pushing an absurd theory that the most famous woman on the planet is plotting with the NFL to get Joe Biden reelected. Talk about bad blood. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. This is CNN Breaking News. We do start with the breaking news. Here's President Biden speaking to reporters at the White House just moments ago. Yes. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. We'll we'll have that discussion. This could be one of the most consequential decisions of Joe Biden's presidency so far. I want to go straight to Arlette Sines at the White House. Arlette, you were uh, one of the reporters there talking to the president, asking him questions. What else did he say? Well, Dana, President Biden and his national security team have really spent the past two days drilling down on the options available to him to respond to this attack, which left three U.S. service members dead. And he told me just a short while ago that he has, in fact, made that decision. Of course, officials say that the president really has been balancing two things when trying to find a a way to respond. And that includes crafting a forceful response that would deter future attacks, but also preventing a, a wider regional conflict from erupting. That is something that the president has made clear in his conversations uh, as he is trying to figure out the way to respond. Now, the the White House has yet to telegraph how and when the president and the United States will respond to these attacks. You have heard Secretary of State Antony Blinken saying that he expects it could be multi-leveled. It could... uh, go through phases and take a quite a period of time to have these responses. But one thing that officials have made clear is that they do believe that any response would be more powerful than the retaliatory strikes the U.S. has been taking in the past against those uh, Iranian-backed groups in Syria uh, and Iraq. So far, the actions that the U.S. has taken have not deterred these attacks uh, from uh, being conducted. That is something I asked the president whether this time will be different, and he said we'll see. Now, some 
of the options available to the president is potentially striking those groups again in Iraq and Syria, trying to target a leadership, also potentially launching an offensive cyber attack. But one thing that officials have suggested is that it's unlikely the president will strike directly in Iran, which is something some of his Republican uh, lawmakers up on Capitol Hill have been calling for. But it's clear that the president is facing a very fraught and challenging decision as he's trying to have this U.S. show of force while also preventing a wider conflict from erupting in the region. Arlette, such important reporting uh, and really the key question and the answer you got from the president that he has decided how he's going to respond. Thank you so much for that. Now let's go to CNN's Nick Robertson, who is in the region. He's in Tel Aviv. Nick, you have covered the Middle East for many years. Can you just put in context what is happening, what is about to happen? Of course, we're not just talking about where you are, Israel versus Hamas, but this broader uh, situation and the potential for it to get even broader if, if and when the U.S. responds. Well, Iran is backing so many different proxies in the region, and depending on how the United States strikes, and definitely there is pressure from, from many places in this region for the United States and President Biden to understand that the language that Iran will really understand best is, is a strong, robust military response. Um, Iran's proxies are in Lebanon, they are in Syria, they are in uh, in Iraq, uh, they are in Yemen, and they've all been militarily active, and they've all been militarily active against the United States and its allies, Israel included, um, in the region. And I think the stakes are incredibly high. Whatever option the president goes for, absolutely there will be a response, whether it comes direct back from the, the, uh, from the military in Iran, the IRGC, who just a couple of weeks ago we saw fire ballistic missiles into Syria, into Iraq, and a day later into Pakistan as well. They've shown that they're willing to flex their muscles, or whether the response comes from those proxies that are even more powerful in Iraq at the moment, the, those Iran-backed um, uh, proxies in Iraq that are very powerful inside Iraq, mm -hmm. are pressuring the government in Iraq to throw U.S. forces out of there. Um, this, this is, I would say, whatever the president does, it is the beginning, it won't be the end, and it is, in essence, an escalation of a sequence of tit for tats. This will likely be big, however. Yeah, I want you to listen and our viewers to listen to how the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, assessed the situation. This is an incredibly volatile time in the Middle East. Um, I would argue that we've not seen a situation as as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973, and arguably uh, even uh, even before that. As any Secretary of State does, he really chooses his words quite carefully. He wanted to not only uh, send a message to people in the region, maybe even uh, people back home. What is your assessment of that very, very strong direct statement from Antony Blinken? Again, it's something that's shared in this region here as well, that 
everything is slowly escalating. The anger in the region about what people see happening in Gaza has escalated tensions there. The effort for a ceasefire is underway, but the northern border here in Israel, Hezbollah and the IDF on that border have increasing strikes at each other. The tension is there. Israel has unannounced and unclaimed strikes into Syria. The, the, the potential for a very big escalation, it, it really exists and it would come down to a misinterpretation or an overstep by, by any one of Iran's proxies. Nick, thank you so much. It's uh, so important to have you there to give, you, give, our, give us your reporting, but also your historical uh, context. Thank you, Nick. I want to bring in my great panel to talk about all of these challenges that President Biden is facing in the Middle East and elsewhere, seen as Jeff Zeleny, Sungman Kim from the Associated Press, and Aaron Blake from the Washington Post. Um, I've been saying this morning, I've been sort of tweaking the famous Donald Rumsfeld line that you go to uh, an election with the world that you have when you're president, not the world that you want. Right. And this is not the world that any president wants, but particularly one in the middle of an election year. Without question. And look, I think, as you said, this is going to be a decision that is uh, remembered without, without a doubt. I mean, look, if you look at the sort of the arc of Joe Biden's uh, policy view, I mean, he has long been very skeptical about the U.S. involvement in Iraq mm -hmm. and the Middle East, much more so than a, a few a few of his predecessors, actually. Uh, but look, now this is what uh, he has dealt. So he said, I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. It's not what he's looking for, but he also can't control mm -hmm. what is about to happen. And someone asked a question in the briefing yesterday that really uh, touched off um, uh, John Kirby, who said he's not doing this because of polling. I think that's likely true because the uh, political fallout of this is very dangerous for President Biden among his Democratic uh, coalition which is really fraying in some regards to uh, what's happened in the Middle East. So uh, this is why the, the power of incumbency is strong and beneficial in some respects. In other respects, it's not. Let's dig into uh, the pressure points that he is feeling, um, not just politically, but also obviously militarily. And you're right, John Kirby was very uh, intent on saying that we're going to focus on what's important geopolitically and not what's happening here in his reelection. Mikey Sherrill, he's, she's a Democrat from New Jersey. She was a Navy helicopter pilot. She graduated from Annapolis. Listen to what she said on uh, CNN this morning. You know, sure, it feels good. It feels macho to say that we are going to destroy our enemies. But at this time, what the United States often does best is not simply go and have cocked. What we are trying to do here is to prevent a full-scale war. We are trying to deter this aggression. Right. That's the that's sort of the message that the White House is trying to send. But when you were talking about just the, the pressures that are on President Biden right now in an election year with this uh, growing conflict in the Middle East, I'm just struck by where all the different political pressure points are coming from, because you do have a very vocal contingent of Republicans saying you have to strike Iran, hit them hard, Lindsey Graham being one of them. And obviously his likely general election opponent, Donald Trump, already deriding him as we got Iran, but then you have a growing number of his progressive base who are really upset and protesting him everywhere he goes about because of the war in Gaza. And this is what they warn of over and over that we don't want a broader conflict in the Middle East. And then you have another groups, you know, um, you know, who would otherwise 
could be supportive of the president's actions, but they're really worried and increasingly concerned about the unilateral actions that he's taking. He's saying he needs congressional authorizations for the moves that he's taking. So he has all of these pressure points coming from every which direction, which is why, as our reporters have pointed out several times, this is a really fraught moment for the president right now. And then you have uh, the hawks inside the GOP who are, not even the hawks, but really, almost all the Republicans who are saying this is this is uh, Joe Biden's fault. This is even uh, Barack Obama's fault. Let's listen to what Tom Cotton of Arkansas said about that. What's irresponsible is 11 years of the Obama Biden foreign policy towards Iran of trying to appease, coddle and conciliate ayatollahs who still chant to this day death to America and death to Israel. That's why we have all these attacks on Americans. Now, uh, there was a, an administration in between Obama and Biden. <laughs> His name was Donald Trump. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the argument, in fairness to Senator Cotton, uh, that he makes and others is that, that they argue that Trump was tougher on Iran. You know, we can have that debate separately. But the other thing that I really want to point out, um, our colleague Brianna Keeler had a really fascinating interview with Congressman Mike Waltz, Republican of Florida, on this whole question of... Would, would Donald Trump really be handling it differently and reminding him of the history of what did happen with Iran and U.S. troops and even just more broadly in the region and U.S. troops when Donald Trump was president? The Trump administration hit both the proxies and then eventually Soleimani himself. In uh, January of 2020 and in March of 2020, right. American service members were killed. Uh, and. Beyond there, uh, we had we had no more attacks, and we certainly didn't have but the hundreds of attacks that we have now. That's we didn't have the we didn't have the, the attacks, attacks on international. Aside from Brianna being really good at her job, what are your <laughs> thoughts on that? I mean, it, to some extent, this is going to be compared to what happened in the Trump administration with the strike on Qasem Soleimani. Uh, whatever Biden does that is coming up short of that is going to be not good enough for the very hawkish Republicans, especially in the Senate. Um, I think what you see from the White House and from Democratic allies is really an attempt to get ahead of that to some degree. Mm -hmm. And so you see Antony Blinken talking about the most dangerous situation in the Middle East since 1973 or before. You see uh, President Biden saying over and over again that he does not want to lead the, to a broader war in the Middle East. They're basically saying, look, even if this doesn't look like as much as people want it to be, uh, there is a very different situation than we had four years ago when Soleimani was killed. There is a much more fraught powder keg that's, that's occurring in the Middle East right now. And going too far can lead to much different places than it might have even four years ago. Yeah. And the powder keg is all intentional. Um, you heard Nick talking about Iran being behind, the, at least the funding, behind so much of what is happening, starting with the most recent, you know, huge uh, explosion, the, the horrible attack on October 7th by Hamas, funded by her Iran. So it is very much all connected, intended to instigate. Absolutely. And so the uh, the burden will be on President Biden to uh, calibrate this. And he knows this. I mean, you can just see it in his words. And uh, he's been at this a very long time. 
but still he will be judged by his own base and he will be judged by his rivals and critics as well. And there's not much a space in between, but there's no issue that I can really think of that has so many sort of weird geopolitical uh, lines here that uh, he's not going to be hawkish enough mm -hmm. for some Republicans, but his Republican rival actually, uh, Donald Trump has been pretty silent on this which is also unusual for now. Well, that, and that's a whole another conversation, which I hope to have uh, soon about this, because he I think we'll have time, Saturday, because this is one uh, <laughs> yeah. topic that will be with us. And you never know what a presidential election will be about, yep. you were saying, but um, we're, this, this will be part of it. Yeah. I, I love you said that the other morning, that you, you know how it starts, but you never know how it's going right. to end. So thanks, one and all. Appreciate it. Coming up, more breaking news. The Justice Department is investigating Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush. We're going to bring you new, new details about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Just in, sources tell CNN that the Justice Department is investigating Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush for misuse of funds. CNN's Whitney Wilde joins us with more. Whitney, what are you learning? Well, there's very few details at this point, Dana, but this all uh, started to sort of bubble up yesterday when the House clerk announced on the floor, uh, reading into the record, that they had received a, a subpoena from the Department of Justice. Uh, so, you know, everyone at CNN working their sources and what we've learned from multiple sources here is that this probe uh, is, is involving Missouri Representative Cori Bush. Again, it involves the misuse of funds. Uh, according to a source familiar with the matter, uh, it involves uh, the misuse of funds surrounding security. Uh, but again, Dana, the details here, very vague. We've reached out to the Department of Justice, who declined to comment. And we have also reached out to Representative Bush's office, who has not yet returned our request for comment, Dana. Yeah, understand. It is very early. And we all saw that moment uh, on the House floor with the clerk reading uh, that uh, information and nobody knew what it was about. So the fact that we have, uh, certainly with your reporting and our other colleagues, Focus it in on, on Cory Bush is uh, is fascinating, and we will learn more as the DOJ continues their investigation. Thank you so much for those details. Appreciate it, Whitney.
Now back to the 2024 campaign trail. GOP hopeful Nikki Haley is kicking off a week-long fundraising blitz tonight. She's going to be in New York at an event hosted by some of the wealthiest and most powerful people on Wall Street. But Donald Trump says she's just wasting her time. In a scathing memo, the Trump campaign mocks the former president's only remaining rival and argues she's setting herself up for an embarrassing loss next month in South Carolina. It reads in part, this humiliation at home, the fourth straight trouncing she will have received, occurs in a place where she served in elected office for 12 years. It goes on to say, if losing four times in a row is a momentum builder, now might be the best time to buy plots of land on Mars. CNN's Kristen Holmes joins me and now. Kristen, <clears throat> I don't think there's really much meant you have to read between the lines to read that memo and what they're trying to do. It doesn't sound like, at least in the short term, Nikki Haley is buying what they're selling. That's right, Dana. I mean, look, a lot of this is aimed at those donors that she is about to meet with. They are trying to send the message that there is no clear path for Nikki Haley, so it's not worth backing her campaign. I do want to point to some new reporting that I have just out moments ago that this is coming at the same time that Donald Trump himself is really ramping up his effort with mega donors and actually doing his own personal research, right? a reach out. I am told that he had Steve Wynn at his event, the casino magnate in New Hampshire, the night of his win and during that primary, that when he was in Las Vegas, Vegas last weekend. He talked to two billionaires, two of whom went with him in his motorcade to his event and got shout outs at that event. Uh, I am told that he has been making calls really round the clock, trying to solicit these donations and that he has gotten a lot of financial commitments. Now, whether or not we're going to actually see those on these on this uh, upcoming federal election commission report that's coming mm -hmm. out remains to be seen. But it is coming at the same time that you're starting to see Donald Trump himself trying to bring in that big donor money. Yeah, interesting, especially since you reported on the show yesterday that it hasn't happened in the way that they had hoped. He uh, does tout the small donor money that he does continue to get. Uh, before I let you go, I have to show you the meme that Nikki Haley and her team are fighting back with. It's a Mean Girls meme. Uh, some people on our staff who are younger thought that maybe they could have updated it to the most recent Mean Girls. I personally appreciate the classic, but all jokes aside, uh, her campaign isn't bowing to his tactics. No, they're not. And actually, we know that both campaign managers, Susie Wiles for Trump's team uh, and on Nikki Haley's side, her campaign manager as well, are going to be in front of top conservative uh, donors today in Palm Beach giving presentations on where their campaign is. And as far as we are told, uh, there is no reasoning or no, uh, we don't, any, no belief that Nikki Haley is going to drop out anytime soon. Now, I will tell you, when you look at how Donald Trump's team is going into South Carolina, they are not treating this as though she is a threat. They don't have any t television ad buys. They still say uh, repeatedly that their internal polling shows him up by 30 points. But we'll see if that changes. Again, I think much of this memo was really aimed at the donor class, trying mm -hmm. to bring those people in, trying to get that money backing for Donald Trump mm -hmm. as we head into this further into this primary yeah, season. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. That's a, a very uh, excellent point. Thanks, Kristen. Appreciate it. Now to some exclusive new CNN reporting. Chinese President Xi Jinping promised President Biden that China would not interfere in the 2024 presidential election. The previously unreported conversation between the two leaders took place when they met in November. CNN cybersecurity reporter Sean Lingus is joining me now here with details. This is fascinating. I agree. What are you uh, learning? Yes. Um, you know, we saw when she and Biden met uh, 
last year, there was an hours-long conversation about everything from fentanyl to resuming military to military communications, a really high-stakes meeting. But what we're learning now with my colleague MJ Lee is that in the course of that conversation, uh, Joe Biden brought up the subject of election interference um, because, you know, as you know, Dennis, since 2016, it's 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 the you know top concern for U.S. national security officials after what Russia did in 2016. And so Biden wanted, according to our reporting, some assurances that that would not happen with China in 2024, and, and she obliged. And in a, a, a follow-up conversation with uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, over this past weekend, he was again given that same assurance by the Chinese foreign minister. So it's a recurring theme in their discussions. Mm -hmm. Then it shows how fraught actually U.S.-China relations have become in the last several months um, over issues like Taiwan and uh, fentanyl. And it's something that is going to be, keep coming up, we think, uh, as the election approaches. Yeah, I mean, the fact that this conversation happened at the highest levels in these two governments, and there are, there are a lot of priorities that the U.S. has, that President Biden has with China, that that was one of them, uh, is really interesting. The obvious question is how much weight do U.S. officials, even the president himself, put in a promise from the Chinese leader? Right. That's, a, that's an excellent question, Dan. And certainly there is value to looking someone in the eye and saying it's not going to happen. However, uh, sources tell us uh, in the U.S. government that because of incidents like the, the spy balloon, where mm -hmm. this, they had this huge surveillance balloon floating over the U.S. last year, uh, that the U.S. government accused Beijing of, of backing, according to Biden himself, she wasn't even aware of that particular operation. So one source I spoke to told me that that is an example of the, the huge grain of salt that U.S. officials take this with. How much visibility does she have over the, the vast security apparatus in, in Beijing? So they're going to be watching that very closely um, as we approach November. So you mentioned Russia, and we know it's been well documented that Russia just tries to sow chaos in American democracy, particularly elections. China has been uh, part of it, but how concerned when it comes to the cyber threats are U.S. officials about China, or are they still more concerned about Russia, or is, are they concerned about all of it? Uh, they're concerned about all of it. Um, the thing that we've seen in the last couple of years, Dana, according to declassified U.S. intelligence reports, is that China has, according to U.S. intelligence officials, more of a tolerance for stirring the pot a little bit you know, amplifying uh, discord on social media, mm -hmm. engaging in what might be called a little bit of Russian-style tactics. U.S. officials still think Russia is more unpredictable. Uh, it's been described in, in the cyber threat realm. Russia is like a hurricane. China's like climate change. Mm -hmm. So slow, the long game, uh, and very capable. Um, but it really depends on the threshold that China has for, for risk entering yeah. this election season. I mean, what I really want to ask you about, and we can talk about another time, is TikTok. Because as I ask that question, that's all I'm thinking about is what people are seeing on TikTok, which is not necessarily um, always US accurate. officials are very concerned about that. Yes, they well. are. Sean, thanks. Thanks to you and thanks MJ for, for this me. great reporting. Come back soon. Justin to CNN, today President Biden spoke with the families of three Americans killed in that drone attack in Jordan over the weekend. We're told the president got their blessing to attend a dignified transfer ceremony at Dover Air Force Base on Friday, and he promised that their loved one's service and sacrifice will be honored. Up next, House Republicans are moving closer to something we haven't seen in 150 years, impeaching a cabinet secretary. There's a move afoot happening as we speak. We're going to go to Capitol Hill to check in on it after a quick break. 
Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Agnello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Today, a House panel is marking up two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The GOP-run committee could approve the articles later today. Republicans claim the secretary committed high crimes and misdemeanors for his handling of the southern border. CNN Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju joins me now. Um, Manu, I've heard many a Republican not currently in the House of Representatives saying this looks like a pretty thin case. It it may well be, but that doesn't mean they won't have the votes to actually go forward. In fact, the House committee plans to vote along party lines sometime today to send this to the floor. And in talking to swing district Republicans in particular, they are indicating that they will plan to vote for this, showing how significant the border is of an issue in this key moment as they indicate that they are behind the speaker on this push. Secretary Mayorkas has avoided the responsibility of his job. He's endangered uh, Border Patrol officers, and he's made this country less safe, while, by the way, treating uh, 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 individuals, human lives, uh, with a callousness. He could stop this on his own. Now, I'm all for making better policy out of the Congress, but there's literally a half dozen provisions in law that he is not enforcing. And thus, we have this disaster that we have all over. I'm still waiting for them to mark up the uh, charges. You going to vote to impeach my Sorry. Sorry. Have you decided yet? There's still a couple of members who are saying that whether or not saying what they will do, Congressman Tom McClintock, Congressman uh, Tom McClintock, as well as Congressman Patrick McHenry, and Speaker Johnson has very little margin for error on the floor given his razor thin majority. So, Dana, they are confident they have the votes, but anything can go haywire given the narrowness of this majority. So, we'll see how this plays out as soon as next week. That Patrick McHenry moment was interesting. I mean, he, he just You just couldn't get him to stop talking on him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, on the border and on the legislation that is uh, being crafted in a bipartisan way in the U.S. Senate, which President, former President Trump has said, I'm not going to support that. Please don't support that. House Speaker Mike Johnson is uh, agreeing with that. I know you got to press Speaker Johnson about this very topic earlier today. What happened? Yeah, I wanted to know whether or not he is agreeing to kill this Senate bipartisan deal simply because Donald Trump has asked him to. And he denied that was the case, but also acknowledged that he and Trump have spoke at length about the border. Are you simply trying to kill this to help him on the campaign? No, Manu, that's absurd. We have a responsibility here to do our duty. Our duty is to do right by the American people, to protect the people. The first and most important job of the federal government is to protect its citizens. We're not doing that under President Biden. I have talked to, to former President Trump about this issue at length, and, um, and he understands that. He understands that we have a responsibility to do here. 
Now, of course, the Senate bipartisan deal has not even been publicly released yet. We have learned some of the details, but the, the deal, the text of it, and all the rest still is waiting to be released to the public. But that has not stopped Trump from campaigning against it, from rallying against it, from calling on Johnson to, to essentially scuttle this effort. Johnson indicating that he would, given some of the details that have emerged about this proposal, even as it was cut by a bipartisan group of senators, including a conservative Senator James Lankford, who says this is the most conservative board security deal that Congress could enact in decades, but the Speaker aligning himself with the former president and saying it is essentially dead on the rival in the House. Dana? Really fascinating politics, and politics really is what's at play here. Appreciate that, Manu. Thank you Thanks. so much. Shake it off. Conspiracy theories swirl about Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey in the 2024 presidential election. Yes, this is a thing, and we're going to explain it next. President Biden's strong support for Israel in its war with Hamas has many Muslims and Arab Americans furious with him. While the president has pressured the Israeli government to rein in its military campaign, it has left thousands uh, in Gaza dead, and he has not called for a ceasefire because President Biden says that would only benefit the terror group Hamas. Joining me now is the mayor of De Dearborn, Michigan, Abdullah Hamoud, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I want to talk about the politics of all of this in your very important state and even more specifically your very important city of Dearborn. Uh, the uh, congresswoman from Michigan, Rashida Tlaib, did meet with President Biden's campaign manager on Friday. You declined to meet with her. Why? I don't think that this is a moment for electoral politics. I think over the course of now 115 days, Israel has murdered more than 26,000 Gazans and displaced over 2 million. And so for us, this is an issue that demands action and not lip service. And this is an issue that requires policymakers to come talk about taking a different course of action. And that's not a conversation you have with campaign staff. Have you talked to uh, anybody on a policy level? Would you like to hear from the Biden White House? I think if you're going to send a delegation to Dearborn to meet with a collective group of Arab Americans and Muslim American leaders, that should most certainly be a senior policy uh, uh, making uh, team. Um, but for us, it's just dehumanizing when you send campaign staff. It sends the message that this is purely one of political uh, of means. And for us, Palestinian lives are not measured in poll numbers. And so we have to have a serious dialogue about moving forward. How can President Biden earn the trust of the Muslim American community at this point? You know, it's it's committing to the promises that he ran on in 2020 about bringing decency back to the White House. It's recognized as as the human beings that we are. It's understanding that we here in Dearborn, the broader Arab American community, the Muslim American community, we know what it's like to live overseas under siege, under apartheid, under occupation. So come to Dearborn, come to this community, let's put the pen in both of our hands and let's co-govern and co-write what the policy should be moving forward to help move our country forward in the right direction. Yeah, and as you know, uh, there are a lot of people who don't agree with the notion that there's apartheid or, or occupation. That's a, another conversation. but. Uh, you know, the the question... I would and, just and push the, back on that and say okay. that international law recognizes the occupation. United Nations resolutions recognize the occupation and the fact what's unfolding is apartheid. Every apartheid expert across yeah. the globe 
recognizes this crisis what? for what it is. Having somebody's political idea for what's unfolding versus reality is what the problem is here. Okay, and there are a lot of uh, people who disagree with some of those conclusions and the uh, notion of occupation is again, we're not having this debate right now, but I will just say that uh, there are a lot of people who say you can't occupy a land that you came from in initially. And that's why that, that label and also the question of so-called apartheid is very much hotly debated, which um, we can have another time, but I really wanna get to you because this is inside politics about how things are gonna play out in the state of Michigan, Mr. Mayor, because you know at this point it looks like President Biden is going to be opposing uh, Donald Trump in the election. And I want you to listen to what some of uh, the former president has said about how he feels about the situation in, in the Middle East and more specifically how Muslims and Muslim Americans should be treated. We aren't bringing in anyone from Gaza, Syria, Somalia, Yemen, or Libya. We will cut off every penny of money that we send to the Palestinians. If you empathize with radical Islamic terrorists and extremists, you're disqualified. You're just disqualified. If you want to abolish the state of Israel, you're disqualified. We will revoke the student visas of radical anti-American and anti-Semitic foreigners at our colleges and universities. So, Mr. Mayor, if your constituents are, are upset with President Biden, and just to play this out, they don't vote for President Biden, and they either vote for Donald Trump or don't vote and could potentially tip the scales when it comes to the numbers to Donald Trump in your very important state of Michigan, how would that be better for your constituents than uh, President Biden? For us, we have survived the Trump presidency four years ago, and I'm not blind to what's being said by Donald Trump and other Republican presidential candidates. However, Democrats nationally need to reckon with the question of what does it mean for them to potentially lose thousands of voters on the response to this human rights issue, and what are they going to do about it? The question you posed me is actually a question that should be posed back to the president. What will he do? to regain the trust and respect of the Arab American and broader Muslim American community. And the position that we're taking, one in which we're demanding a call for a ceasefire, is actually the position of the majority of Americans. Over 60% of Americans support a ceasefire, over 80% of Democrats support a ceasefire. So this is not with out of line and out of touch of the general American people. Do you want Hamas to release all of the hostages that they have? if you want the ceasefire? Absolutely, and I would love for Israel to, re to release the thousands of hostages that they also have. All hostages should be released unconditionally. Okay, because I hear a lot about a ceasefire, but not about the, the innocents who are also being held uh, inside yeah, Gaza. I, I, we have a very strong value statement. I do not believe that any innocent man, woman, or child should be killed, and that there's no qualifier to the mm -hmm. statement. Anybody not calling for a ceasefire is instituting a qualifier, that there is a justification at any point in time for the killing of any innocent man, woman, or child. So I call for the release of all, all hostages on both sides, immediately and unconditionally, and also for the ceasing of the killing, the cessation of all killing, a ceasefire of any innocent man, woman, or child. Okay, I'd love to have uh, more of a policy discussion with you uh, after after this and in another time, because I really appreciate you coming on and having this discussion. Thank you for having me. Coming up, conspiracy theorists have some bad blood with pop star Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey. Why they're trying to suggest that the two of them are trying to interfere of the, in the 2024 presidential election. 
I still can't believe I'm saying this, but this is becoming a thing, and we'll explain to you what we're talking about next. Have you heard the latest conspiracy theory making the rounds? Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, and the NFL and the Democratic Party are in cahoots to get Joe Biden reelected. But stay with me. Prominent right-wing figures are speculating that her relationship with Travis Kelsey is made up and that the Super Bowl will be rigged for Kelsey and the Kansas City Chiefs. And the end game is Swift endorsing Biden after the big game. Here are some of the messages, I'm trying not to laugh, uh, circulating on social media. Vivek Ramaswamy, I wonder who's going to win the Super Bowl next month. Podcast host Mike Crispy, the NFL is totally rigged for the Kansas City Chief Taylor Swift. Mr. Pfizer, Travis Kelsey. Lara Loomer, a self-described Islamophobe who has been embraced and promoted by Trump. They are going to use Taylor Swift as the poster child for their pro-abortion GOTV campaign. Right-wing media personality Benny Johnson said, Taylor Swift is an op. CNN's Oliver Darcy joins me to break all these very bogus claims down, and we're going to highlight that, underscore it, bogus claims, but it is happening. Take it away, Oliver. Yeah, Dan, I mean, they're absurd claims, outrageous claims, uh, but they are coming from some of the most prominent voices in right-wing media. And so while uh, us, in reality, uh, consuming credible news information uh, might laugh at them because they are so ridiculous and outlandish, um, the, the, the people who rely and, and kind of uh, are swimming in this polluted right-wing information and space, uh, you know, you could see how they might apparently be or, you know, attracted to some of these ideas because they're being inundated uh, by them from some of the most uh, prominent voices. Uh, you know, it's not just those uh, right-wing internet influencers who are now peddling this stuff. Uh, Jesse Waters, a Fox News host, uh, earlier this month uh, did a whole segment asking uh, whether Taylor Swift is a Pentagon asset. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, but it's out there and it really is going to end up influencing a lot of people who rely on these outlets and figures for information. God forbid there's an incredibly powerful woman who tends to just do things the way she wants to do them, and she, tends, she seems to like this football player. Uh, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.